Good morning, family. Are you all excited about the book of Colossians? How many of you read Colossians before? Don't be shy. So Colossians is a really short book, four chapters. It's actually a great 30-minute, maybe an hour, depending on how fast you read. But there's a lot of information in it. In fact, when we look at Colossians, um, Paul writes this letter, but there's a lot of mystery behind the why and the how and how it was passed around, why it was written to Colossae, because really Colossae was kind of a, a city that was not growing, but actually declining. Maybe, in a sense, what Detroit is or was a few years ago. Not a great city that everyone wanted to move to, but it had a great history behind it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are here today, that we get to be family, that we get to talk to one another, that we get to celebrate, that we get to see you. We pray that just as a small church here in Houston, that we can identify and connect to believers over 2,000 years ago in the city of Colossae, that gathered in a home who had great hopes and aspirations, but sometimes were confused about how their life could reflect your son. Help us to step into that today. Receive your spirit. Be transformed. And walk out of here with a fresh plan that's from you. In your name we pray. Amen. So as I was saying, Colossae was not the city that everybody wanted to be at, but it did have a great history. And as Paul was writing this letter to those in Colossae, we do know historically the Romans had forced many Jews to move there. For what reason, we're not sure. But an ancient historian recorded that this was a place that many Jews were sent. So it does make sense that a church began to form from those Jews who recognized Jesus as the coming Messiah. And they professed faith. And a small church began to grow. Now, in this city, though, there were many Greeks. And in the, the belief of the Greeks, there were many things that you could believe in. In fact, if you believe that Jesus was one way, you could also believe that this other God was another way or living a good life was a good way. Helping others was a good way. And they kind of just mixed their beliefs together. The best example I can give that I saw this in action. I mean, we can look in our own lives. We do this. But a literal example was when I was in Venezuela and I saw kind of an altar area in this lady's home. And on it, she had Jesus, she had Mary, but then she also had this other one. I don't know all the names, so I'm just going to describe that there were a lot of little idols. And she would pray to all of them just to cover her bases. Right? Well, we don't think that we identify with that, but we kind of do. What Paul was recognizing in 
the city of Colossae in this small little church was that they were doing this too. He opens up the letter about their incredible faith and how proud he is of them. And oftentimes, in fact, this weekend, the Lord pushed on my heart how proud I am to be a part of Oikos. How proud I am of all of you. How you press into what does it mean to live a life following Jesus. And you fail, right? And you're like, wait a minute, I thought you said you're proud of us. (laughs) But I fail too. But what I am proud of is that even though you fail, you try again. You turn and you go, Lord, so I'd mess that up, but how do I do it now? And that's what the Lord is asking us to do. That's what I believe the people of Colossae were doing. Even though Paul didn't have a great relationship with them, because it was from a distance, he didn't necessarily start it. It was his disciples who did. But he was speaking about these people that he saw were doing great things, but sometimes got a little confused. Can anyone identify with that? So it looks like this half, you guys, you can go home. So he got, they got a little confused. These guys aren't confused at all. One of the things they got confused about is that the worship of angels or heavenly beings or spirits was really big. It came out of Gnosticism. And so the Gnostics really wanted you to ascend through knowledge. And they saw that these mystic beings were something that they could kind of make a connection to the other side. Now, if we can't identify that that isn't prevalent today, it's in everything. I see it everywhere. The people are trying to connect to the other side, make some kind of connection, whether it's in a TV show or it's the way people talk or it's how they live their life. They're trying to make their way to God. Paul wants to tell the Colossians that in that thinking, they are living in slavery instead of freedom. In chapter 2, he talks about this deception that they have allowed to infiltrate their community. Chapter 2, verse 4, I am telling you this so no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. For though I am far away from you, my heart is with you, and I rejoice that you are living as you should and that your faith in Christ is strong. Another version would say well-crafted arguments or delude you with plausible arguments or delude you with a persuasive argument. When I thought about this, what are some of the arguments that are out there today that would tell us this whole Jesus thing isn't everything that you think it is? One would be there's so much suffering in the world. Why would you believe in a God that would allow that? You guys heard that? Why believe in a God that allows so much suffering into this world? Or Jesus can't be the only way to God. Not with all these other religions. They do good things too. Have you heard that? And maybe I won't ask you to raise your hand, but maybe you're sitting there going, well, I kind of believe that. 
The Bible is full of errors and miracles can't happen. Have you heard that? Have you ever been persuaded that that's possible? I'll tell you that I have. And you're like, oh gosh, <laughs> you're our pastor. What the heck are you up there for? Well, because God calls sinners. Has my faith been tested before? Absolutely. There's been times when I've been reading and then you, you hear something and you go, well, maybe they're right. Boy, that, was a, that person was really smart. And they believe this. Maybe I should look at it again. Man, the flood couldn't happen. Because look at all this evidence that would say that it's not. Sure, those arguments start to move into your heart. And they're crafty. Because perhaps they're saying, well, it's not that you can't believe in God, but just don't believe what he says. Have you heard that? You may think, no, I haven't heard that, but that's when you go, when someone says, well, don't believe what the Bible says because it's so full of errors, but you can believe that there's a God. Or you can believe in this part of Scripture, but this other part, I mean, really. Who's going to believe that? Like Adam and Eve, seriously, and they ate some fruit, and that messed them up? Really? Or Noah, boom, 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 building a little ark, well, I guess big ark, and two, two by two and all this stuff? See, even right now, I bet, some of you are like, I hope he turns this around because right now I'm not feeling not feeling the love from the Lord, or I'm feeling a little confused. Maybe Christianity may be true for you, but it's not true for me. We all have our own thing, our own belief, our own truth. There's no tr standard on which truth rests. That's definitely uh, argument that I've heard many, many times. Or the church is full of hypocrites. Any hypocrite in here? You better all raise your hand on this one. <laughs> that will allow us not to be hypocrites by saying that we are a hypocrite. See how that works? The church is full of hypocrites, so why would I want to be a part of that? Well, many of these arguments, I would say, were probably true for the, the church of Colossae. Maybe not about the Bible, because they didn't necessarily have the Bible as we have it today. They had letters from Paul and the apostles being passed around. But they probably battled whether or not that letter or that word from the Lord was valid. I'm sure the Stoics of the day said, that guy is incredible. Or why are you listening to this Matthew guy? Don't you remember he was a tax collector? I think for the people of the church of Colossae, they definitely saw suffering. And they had a battle against, if your Jesus is so good, if he healed so many people, why doesn't he heal your mom? Those are real arguments. And they're hard arguments. 
because they're in your face. They're in your life. But Paul says this to the people of Colossae. Therefore, this is verse 6, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. When I thought about this message and the people of Colossae, I wondered how many people that they have a connection to who may have already witnessed that Jesus was risen from the dead. That their second cousin said, hey, I saw him. Or their mother-in-law came back and said, no, I was at the feeding of the 5,000. We were all hungry, and Jesus gave us food. Or their little brother said, man, I ran into Paul when he was Saul, and I saw the difference. Because I was running away from him, and when he turned to Paul, I started running toward him because I wanted to hear more about the Lord. See, the advantage that the people of Colossae had is that by chance, they may have known someone that actually witnessed the events that we only read about. It is an advantage that we don't have necessarily. But can we actually believe what Paul writes and what he teaches? So what are those reasons to believe? One is the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. So when you look at the life and the extraordinary claims of Jesus, all of that was recorded by eyewitnesses. I want you to just rest in that for a minute and think. Nothing would seem to say that what Jesus, who Jesus said he was, is inaccurate. Eyewitnesses all around would say he said, I am the son of God. And it was recorded. The things that he did were recorded. So him being the son of God, the uniqueness of this story is one reason to believe. Another one is his death and resurrection. Do you know all historical records? All. Do not refute that Jesus lived. All historical records say he lived. You have to be an idiot to say he didn't live. All historical records say he was crucified. And all historical records say many believed he was resurrected. That his body was never found. That no one could prove that he didn't rise from the dead. All historical records. There's no account in history that's like that. Another one, the manuscript evidence for the New Testament. Just think about this. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is the most written about event in history. 
from many points of view. There's no event that has more. This is after 2,000 years. The uniqueness of the Bible. This is another one. 66 books, 40 authors, over 1,500 years. Over a span of 1,500 years, 40 authors, all moving in one subject line. God coming to earth to save man. God being our Father. God sending His Spirit to us. God sending His Son to us. All attest to this event. Over 1,500 years. This wasn't written in a cave by one man. And then spread out. This wasn't a philosophy that was developed over maybe a hundred years. Over 1,500 years. Sometimes you have to hear these details and then sit down and go, yeah, why is it that so many times we rebel against believing and what God has made so easy and accessible for us to receive? The Old Testament prophecy fulfilled in Christ. We talk about this. What time of year do we talk about this all the time? Christmas. Thank you, wife. There's another time that we talk about it. Easter. See, you just, you go, yeah, Christmas and Easter. Well, you know what? Sometimes people only come to church on Christmas and Easter. And you can either go, Christmas and Easter people. They just took my seat. They're never here on August 6th, but Christmas and Easter, they're here. But I actually rejoice that they're here on Christmas and Easter because they get to hear that Jesus didn't just come out of nowhere. He fulfilled prophecy after prophecy after prophecy. Biblical prophecy fulfilled in history. Again, it connects to the prophecy fulfilled in Christ. But this is not just one or two prophecies fulfilled, but many about Tyr and Sidon, Samaria, Gaza, Moab, Ammon. This is about other countries out of a span of years and many times hundreds of years before it would happen. They would be fulfilled. There's power when God speaks through his prophets. The uniqueness of the Christian experience. Have you thought about this? There's a shared testimony, not over a century, but over two millennia, 2,000 years of people receiving the word of Jesus and being transformed and testifying about it. This isn't like this was just my mom's religion. No, this is a people who believe that Jesus actually did what he said that he did. And not just Anglos, not just Germans, not just Hispanics, not just African Americans or Africans or Asians, 
but actually it's a shared experience across the globe. It's a shared experience that of those who are literate and those who are illiterate. It's a shared experience between those who are poorest of the earth and those who are the richest. It's crazy when you start thinking about the evidence behind the testimony of lives being changed. The origin of the universe and the fine-tuning of the universe all sciences are pretty much in agreement that something had to start something. Just many will not want to say that it was God. Some now are saying, well, there's some smart design. But you can't have this universe without some intelligence behind it. It's too unique. It's too refined. There's too many points for just a random coincidence to happen. The biological complexity. Just look at yourself. Now some of us have gone, well, maybe I'm not the best example. But when you look at the way organisms are uniquely designed, some of you have been to the hospital lately because you've had something happen. In fact, we met a guy just yesterday and he told us, or it was not yesterday, two days ago. I don't want to lie while I'm up here. Two days ago. And he had gone that morning because he was going to go find out whether or not he had cancer. And he goes, and the waiting period is horrible. Ten, ten days ago, I went in and they saw something when they're checking something else out. And he said, well, wait 10 days and then come back and I'll have the results for you. And he goes, every morning, waking up, do I have cancer? Do I have cancer? He goes, and I didn't have cancer. And he shows me this little thing, this little thing in his throat that doesn't look good, but it's totally benign. He doesn't have cancer. But when we look at the complexity, when you go into the doctor and they say, well, this goes with this, and this works with this, and we're just discovering that this is like this, and we thought that this worked this way, but it doesn't work that way. It really works this way. The complexity behind just the way we're built, the complexity behind, for those of you who have a dog, how they're built, this is not just random. Though many would say, I would rather believe in the random than believe that there's a God who loves me and actually made me in his image. Lives changed by the Christian faith. There's really no other faith in the world that you can proclaim that after 2,000 years, millions of people have dramatically reversed their behavior, changed the direction that they are going, and became someone new. Life transformation is something that occurs consistently within the Christian church, within those who follow Jesus. Now, 
We are hypocrites, right? So we could say there is a lot of people that come in that aren't transformed at all. But over the history of time, there is story after story after story, testimony after testimony of someone who was a murderer who then starts pushing to save lives in prison. There are stories of those who would steal and then decide they want to give. There's a lot of evidence to believe. But Paul knew that information alone wasn't enough. There had to be a spiritual transformation. So in chapter 3, he talks about this. Verse 1, since you've been raised to a new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life and your real life is hidden in Christ with God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So this is where it starts. This is where it started for those who were in the Colossae church. It's where it starts for us. It starts with being raised to a new life. We're raised to not every morning we can wake up and say, today is a new day. I've been raised to a new life. Every day we can wake up and say, my eternal life doesn't start when I go to heaven. It's already started. Today I can taste, and just as Ashley sang and wrote the song, Taste and See, I can taste and see that the Lord is good, that he's active in my life. With each person that I get to love, with each person who loves me back, I get to see a portion, a small portion, of what heaven is like. That's how I set my mind on what's coming, Yet I live in it today. I'm raised to a new life. What would happen to each of us if we thought about those things more than we do now? Verse 5, so put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. I really love this translation. Because I see it in my own life. Right? Right? Do you kind of, those things that lurk, it's a great word. Because it's not stuff that you want, but it's like it's following you. And as soon as you think you don't have it, there it is lurking. It's right there. It's trying to grab you, right? Lurking, when I think of lurking, I think about having to walk through a dark room. And you hear something behind you. You, maybe you run or maybe you freeze. But it lurks. Man, it's hard. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. So these are the things that lurk, right? Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater. Worshiping the things of this world Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still a part of this world, but now is the time to get rid 
of anger. I bet for some of you, anger lurks. In fact, I've seen it. Right? You feel it. Someone does something, you just start getting really mad. It's lurking. But God says, get rid of it. Rage. Malicious behavior. Slander and dirty language. I'll confess, I've had some dirty language. I mean, sometimes you think it's funny, right? And I'll just say, sometimes it is funny, but that's our old self. Sometimes we get into the dirtiness and we've been persuaded by a great argument that it's really funny. It's lurking. Don't lie to each other. (laughs) This is a good confession time, right? In fact, this morning we have a practice where we pray for anyone who's here at 9.30. If you ever want to come at 9.30, you can come and join us. We come to the baptismal font and we pray. And you know, the place where I see lies happen the most is in family. I mean, you just, you don't want to tell your family that. And right now you may be thinking, my blood family, but I'm thinking just here. Let me just look around. If you really screw up, if one of those lurking things grab you, do you really want to go, hey, Adrian, that lurking thing, it got me. No, you don't. Instead, you go, hey, how's it going, Adrian? And he goes, How's it going for you? And you go, fine. You just lied. You just lie. Pastor calls you. That's me, by the way. I call you. Go, how's everything going? Oh, it's fine. We might be getting a divorce, but I'm not going to say that. Or we're in financial ruin, but I don't want to say that. Or I've been on porn lately, but I'm not going to say that. It kind of ruins the conversation, right? We lie to each other. But God calls us into freedom to not lie. To let those lies die and move forward in new life. For you have been stripped off, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. That's the freedom. So sometimes many people would speak against Christianity as, well, you guys are just about a bunch of moralists. You guys are just about a bunch of rules about you don't do this, you don't do this, don't do this, don't have sex before marriage. But what God is saying right here is put on your new nature, Don't have sex before marriage because I have something better for you. I have something that no one can give you and no one can take away. He says, we're about just give your money away to the church and there's other places that do better things. And besides that, I may need it. 
But God says, put on your new nature because I want to help you see that I provide for you, not you. I provide. Boy, that's hard for all of us to get, right? He provides. Everything we have is his. Our house, our children, my job, this church is his. So who are we to say, well, I can't give that away? His invitation is, the life with me, when you put on Christ, is a bigger blessing than you could ever try to create yourself. That's why we do these other things, right? We have sex before marriage because we want to try it out, see how things work. Can we live, make this Make this well and good, and plus, it feels good. That's why we do it. I mean, I'm just, let's just lay it out there. I said we're not going to lie, so I'm not lying. But God says, trust me. Trust me. Make a commitment before me, and I'll show you how it works. And it's going to be better than anything. You may know this guy, you may not. Pastor Wagner says, you just don't know what it's like to live in the Lord and be married for 50 years. It only gets better. For some of you who have just been married, I just want to tell you, look forward for those 50 years. I know I am. Sarah and I are going to be really old, but it's going to get even better. Amen? You don't want to say amen, but I'm saying that's what the Lord says. <laughs> In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew, a Gentile, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave, or free. Christ is all that matters. And he lives in all of us. This is part of that historical evidence that God has moved through every people group, every kind of person. And in my short life, at least I want to say it's a short life still, I can attest to that. For every person I think, well, they'll never receive Jesus, they're the one that does. Or for the person I go, man, they're never going to change, they change. Because God moves beyond what I can comprehend. So become like Jesus. That's what he's asking us to do. Be transformed by him. Let the spirit of the Lord move through you and in you. Breathe through you, into you. Listen to him. Believe that your new life has already begun. Put the old stuff behind, the stuff that lurks. Know it's going to keep on lurking. But we've got each other to remind each other of who we are. And we can do it together. Verse 12, he says, Since God chose you to be a holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults 
and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. You can only do the ways, the words, and the works of Jesus if the Spirit is actually breathing in you. It starts again by being brought into a new life, being resurrected, by receiving faith. If you don't have faith, all this other stuff doesn't matter. But it starts there. It starts with a God who says, I created you in my image, and you are worth it. I don't care if you've had other people tell you that you're not. I don't care if you've told yourself that you're not. I am telling you, you are worth it. And I want you in my family. And I want you to live in this freedom. I don't want you to be in this other muck that you think is freedom. I want you to start to receive my blessings that only come when you're with me. He wants us to be with him. And this other stuff distracts us from it. The stuff that lurks distracts us from just simply being with him. So each day, each morning we wake up, his invitation to us is, Suzanne, you are worth it. Be with me today. Jessica, you are worth it. Be with me today. Marcus, you are worth it. Be with me today. Stace, you are worth it. Be with me today. Tim, you are worth it. Be with me today. Because of that, we are able to be, have tender-hearted, loving. Our hearts become softer. We cry at a wedding. That's what happens when the Spirit begins working in your heart. You start to love people. And some people break your heart. But the Lord is standing next to you saying you can do it again. We become kind. We love humility in ourselves, not just in others. We start to see what the Lord does in each of our lives. And most importantly, we are given the power to forgive. Even when we don't want to. Even when we think we don't need to. And we learn to give allowance for stupidity. Right? The frustrations of people doing the same stupid thing over and over again. When we put on Christ, all of a sudden that patience starts to dwell within us. And instead of expecting something out of someone, we invite them. Instead of expecting for it to happen just now, at this time, we wait for the Lord to do his work, and we get to watch it. 
Verse 14, above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. So the kids have come back in, and this is planned. Because the kids, are you guys all listening? Ileana, you got me? All right. So the kids are in here, and this is an exercise we can all participate in. We're going to have a time of Thanksgiving. And some of you, we've done this at least two or three times here. But I believe the words from Paul to the Colossae Church was to help push them through a time where they were feeling like darkness was coming around. And I want us to start to realize that thankfulness occurs not just because something good happens, but thankfulness occurs in all circumstances. So maybe you came in here and you didn't feel great. I want you to start thinking about the things you can be thankful for. So put your hands out like this. Put your hands out like this. Perfect. Close your eyes and begin thinking of the things that you're thankful for that we can give thanks for today. So Lord, I thank you that I have a stool to sit on and I thank you that I have clothes to put on my body today. I thank you for being able to wake up next to Sarah. And as I give thanks, I want you guys to just start speaking them out as well. Everything that comes to your mind that you can give thanks for, just start saying it out out loud. And Lord, I thank you for being able to see my son and getting a hug from him this morning. I thank you that we were able to turn on the car and it ran. I thank you that we had a, a place to drive to this morning called Oikos. I thank you that I was able to put shoes on my feet. In fact, I even got to choose whether I wanted flip-flops or I wanted to wear dress shoes. And I had socks to go with those dress shoes. I thank you that we had a bed that we got to sleep in last night. And I had not just one pillow, but I had two pillows that I could choose from. I thank you, Lord, that we had sheets on that bed, and I thank you that we had air conditioning, and I thank you that we had electricity and a fan, all these comforts that we do not deserve, but we still get to have them. Lord, I thank you for that. I thank you that we have a washing machine that washes the kids' clothes, and however many loads we have to do each day, we're able to get them done, that you've given us a body that's able to do the work that we need to do to be able to keep our house clean. Lord, I thank you for the people that came into our house. I thank you for the smiles that I got to see. I thank you for Billy's diagnosis that it wasn't cancer, that he gets to wake up and know he's cancer-free. I thank you for Martha, who spoke into her mom's life. I thank you for Gigi, and I thank you that she has faith in you, and yet she's scared of death, and yet you are still with her. And I thank you that Lois is there, though she does not know if she believes in you, Lord, speak into her. I thank you for these things. Lord, I thank you. I thank you. I thank you. Thank you for being my father and for choosing me to be your son. Amen. Paul says a spirit of thankfulness can bring healing, a spirit of thankfulness can move you from a life that does not 
welcome transformation into a life that welcomes it. This is an activity that we do in our missional communities. As we gather together, we give thanks for things. And I'll tell you, it is intentional. My hope is that it wouldn't just happen in our missional communities. Because I know you don't all go to a missional community. I know that you all have excuses. Why? I don't want to even hear them. You're too busy. You got other things. You don't know if you can go to that house. You don't know if you'd like that house. You're sure. You're not sure if you should go there. You're, you're scared that some conversation will come up. You're scared that you'll have to lie. You're scared. I got it. And this is not for you to have guilt because what I want you to bring from this is that you get to practice it in MCs, giving thanks. But if you don't go to an MC, then practice it daily because it brings healing. Practice it with your family and start the day and say, let's, let's give thanks or end the day and say, what do we have to be thankful for? And if your kids are like mine, sometimes they go, oh. And you, go, you have to help them. And if your wife goes, oh, help her, love her, be patient with her. If your husband is like, what, what, what are we doing? Say, honey, we're giving thanks. Come on. And give thanks. God is not a God that is distant and far and inaccessible unaccessible. He is a God who makes things simple for us. You want healing? Give thanks. You want transformation? Give thanks. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Amen and amen. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Amen and amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are here today, that you've counted us worthy, that you sent your spirit here to dwell among us, to be in us, until you come again, that you sent your Son in the flesh to take our sin upon his shoulders, to crucify our sins on that cross so that payment was made, so that we could have a relationship with you that does not involve guilt, but is all about an invitation. Sometimes those invitations, Lord, seem more like challenges. And as they do, Lord, may we address the issue in our own heart. That we would ask ourselves, why are we rebelling against an invitation that you are giving? Why do I think my way is better than your way? And may you speak your wisdom into us. And then gently grab our hand and let us know that it'll be okay. That we can trust you. That you've done everything for us. 
We simply get to follow. May we live with open hands, Lord, of thanksgiving, of generosity, of love, of patience, of endurance, of trust. And may we look at each other in this room, not as strangers or acquaintances, but as family. And may the truth be clear.